you know, I believe that anyone can run a business when it's good, but the people who really make it in life, you have to find a carve out niche. Like the way I've made money and I've been successful is I found a niche in being able to turn around travel companies. I've done it successfully. So I've made it to where I'm a guy that's always going to be in need because I have a skill that, you know, many other CFOs do not have. 250 hotel nights a year. Think about that, everybody. 250. Hey, it's David Schwab. We're back on Beyond High Street um, with Rich Wheelis today. 250 hotel nights. have to say that a few times. It's incredible how much the world he travels regularly, 40-plus countries, uh, talks about, and you can hear in the pod about what he wants to do next or where he will go next. Our conversation spans so many different areas from being a CFO at the age of 28, buying his first stock at the age of 14, put $500 in, made a return, got to $2,000 and was hooked ever since. His mentors are his parents. He models his days like Jack Dorsey, puts everything in 30-minute blocks. He has dual offices in London and Vancouver, so they're eight hours apart. So he's almost working 20 hours a day. Really fascinating. And now he's got a new business called Enrich Media, which we get into in the pod. It's a celebrity social platform app business that they're taking out to the market right now. Uh, parents as mentors, just really interesting. We, we hit so much stuff. Um, let's start the conversation with Rich. I think you guys are going to really enjoy this one. The hardest part I'd say about traveling 250 days out of the year is I think that many days I wake up and don't remember which city I'm in or what I'm supposed to do. It's, um, it's grueling, but you know, I've met a lot of great people along the way. And part of what has made me successful is getting to meet people in all different walks of life. I've met, I've met a lot of Miami alumni in different countries, whether it's Japan or any place in Europe, I've traveled to 40 different countries and it's been, you know, it's been really, really nice. Um, the downside I would say about doing it is that in a way you have a 24 hour workday because, um, you know, home base is between Vancouver and London, and, you know, my day may start at 6 a.m. doing calls, um, you know, finishing up stuff in Europe, and then I still have my full workday ahead for the West Coast. So that is a downside that I don't have that typical, you know, 8 to 5 workday where at 5 o'clock I can just, I can just shut down. People will call at any time of the day, and you got to be ready to do that. Take so- that call and answer the bell. Yeah, so even if you're not traveling to 40 countries and we're just talking London and Vancouver, you're at a, what's that, roughly an eight-hour time zone. So give me the trick of the trade for you. What's the secret that you're able to handle eight hours difference? Is it something you do first thing or something you do last? How do you manage that? Yeah, I mean, a lot of times I try to, you know, I try to manage my day in, you know, 30-minute increments in terms of, you know, I know exactly you know, when I try to schedule my calls, I try to group those together because I'm in a mind state for doing that. I try to get, you know, my heavy work done early in the morning. So if I wake up, you know, I'll go for a run and then typically, you know, we'll do heavy work. So if I can put together a financial model or if I need something that requires my divided attention, I try to do that before the calls happen and things start getting flung my way because as that happened and the distractions go, your mindset changes. So it's important to be able to, to manage that and know, what works best for you. And everybody has different areas of the day and times where they work best with certain things. And as I've gotten my career, I realized what kind of works for me. 
do you, as you talk about running, do you try to run if you're on the road 250 days a year? If you if you're not in a presentation or a morning board, are you actually you have sneakers in the bag and trying to run everywhere you are? Always. I think, you know, exercise is one of the most important pieces of, you know, healthy mind, healthy body, take care of your body, takes care of you. It's, um, it's a great way to see a lot of cities. And, you know, in the mornings I get up, even on the weekends, I'm just, I'm up at 5.30 in the morning, so I'll get out and I'll run, you know, run along the water. And it's a good way to just see a city and you never know who you're going to run to it, run into. And what about all these airport uh, trips back and forth, you, TSA and clear and global entry and all? You're, you're in airports a lot. What, what's in that backpack? What, give me the three items that you have that, you, that are the must-needs on, on these trips. Ooh, noise canceling earphones, my iPad, and lots, lots of different snacks because I, you get sick of airplane food. That's the one thing. And as you notice, you get older. Airplane food is one of those things that it's not so good for you. <laughs> so, you know, it's important to have those noise canceling headphones because it's, you know, it's important to be able to sleep and to tune out people. Like, and one of the things I make sure is I never work on airplanes. That's kind of my one place that, you know, I just try to be alone with my thoughts and do that because I'm constantly, you know, working. I feel like it's a 24 hour work day, but when I'm on a plane, whether it's an eight hour flight or one hour flight, I might answer the email, but I have a rule that there's no work, period. It's just a time for me is to be alone with my thoughts. That's the classic thought. Well, I may answer an email, but no work. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I think it's, it's always nice to say how to email. It's one of those things a lot of times that might be, hey, did you send this document? Yes. Those are, those are the easy things. But it's nice. I think everybody does need, need to align because then, you know, too much of anything makes you an addict. And, you know, we didn't get to where we were without being obsessive. That's the difference between great and, and excellent. And you can appreciate this as well. That's why, you know, you've you've been very successful as well because of your obsessive natures. Yeah. And tell me about in your actual business life now, maybe the last trip you went on and what was part of that trip? Ah, last trip I just went on. I was actually just came from LA a few days ago and we went and we closed a, um, a very large deal that we're doing. So um, the CFO of a public company um, as well, it's a headquarter here in Vancouver and uh, the deal's been announced as well. So we uh, just finished up the finishing touches on that and it's been something that's been in the works for a long time. So, with, well, so. With, without sharing the details of the deal, if you can't, just maybe a little background on the, on the actual company itself and what you're doing and when, when you're in LA, the types of people you're trying to connect with, meet with, partner with. Yeah, sure. So um, right now there's two companies I'm actively involved with on a day-to-day basis. I'm the CFO of a mining company. We used to do um, resource mining, but now we've moved into um, the technology side, um, specifically blockchain, and we're doing um, cryptocurrency-related uh, projects. So what we're doing is we're doing um, ASIC chips, which are the chips that go into the rigs for cryptocurrency mining, so for people who are mining uh, Bitcoin. So that's a big thing. So you know, we're providing the tools to help people uh, become very wealthy. So that's what we do on that side. But also I'm the CEO of a um, entertainment company that we make um, apps for celebrities, but we also are doing some content, um, original content stuff as well. So we've gotten in that game. So I spend a lot of time in LA for that reason that, you know, I go back and forth doing, um, you know, two different projects because a lot of the people we work with are based there. A lot of them are in London. Um, additionally, that's why I'm constantly going back and forth, but it's nice to have two companies that 
you know, are very different, but at the same time, one thing I'm noticing is a lot of these celebrities now, one of the questions when they sit down and ask is, you know, how do I get into, um, you know, the cryptocurrency space? People hear Bitcoin and Ethereum, but they have no idea how to do it as well. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of crossover. One of the things that we're getting into now, even on the media side, is we're going to start having a piece that we will be adding blockchain into our platform as well. So it's going to be really, really nice. I mean, blockchain is kind of the way to go. I will kind of diverge a little bit. Yeah. So, oh gosh, I, I had a lot of questions coming out of that. So two very different companies. I see the crossover. What, yes. what, what for you, though, is the uh, personality trait or skill that puts you, that, that allows you to do both, doing very different things, but are able to be successful at both of them? I think it's just the ability to compartmentalize and to be able to do different things because in order to be able to run two different things successfully, very few people can do it. Um, you know, there's a couple people like the Jack Dorsey's of the world and I've modeled myself kind of in the way he does it. He spends, you know, his mornings at Square and his afternoons at, at Twitter. And it's one of those, you know, he, he organizes his day in the same way in 30 minute increments. And it's one of those that you have to be very disciplined about doing things and not strain. I'm one of those that I don't take a lot of meetings because meetings can be very much a waste of time. So I think that's, that's part of it is making sure that a lot of times you, know, you have to make time to get the actual work done. And when you were at Miami 15 years ago, 20 years ago, do you remember mm-hmm. when you were 18 or 20 years old what you were thinking that you wanted to do or where you were going to head out of school? Absolutely. Well, originally I went to school my first year. I was a pre-med major and it was, and it was a tough adjustment. It's my first year. You know, I went from, um, you know, high school as a great student, but the one thing I noticed when I first went to Miami is that I all of a sudden was one of tons of smart people. I think in my class I came in, um, I graduated in 2001. So when I came in in 97, you know, there was tons of people that were valid supporting to their school. So all of a sudden I had to be, go from being, you know, the smartest kid in school to being just one of many smart kids. So you're competing up against a bunch of people. And I was a pre-med major my first year and, you know, not really quite sure what I wanted to do and realized, you know, what am I good at? What do I like doing? And ever since I was 14 years old, I started, um, you know, buying stocks. So I got in the stock market early, um, buying Abercrombie Fitch, Gap, um, Lucent Technologies, some of the first stocks that I owned. I made money from those. And I said, okay, what can I do that's close to something that I'm interested in? So, you know, after my freshman year, I was miserable and said, I'm going to switch to finance and see, you know, how I like it. And along the way, I had some, you know, I had some great teachers, um, Kevin Broida being one of them, um, but I had uh, Dr. David Marshall. I took real estate and really, really loved it. Um, favorite teacher that I had, say, um, who I miss to this day, and you could probably relate, uh, Dr. Bruce Olson. Mm-hmm. Sure. He was, um, you know, a great teacher. He was um, a guy that, that you really learned that, you know, life isn't taught from a book. You know, he, I remember him sitting up there and he gave us a book on the first day. We never once used that book. He just sat up there and just talked. And then we had an exam, you know, and anyone who's had that class will tell you. He gave people, you know, everyone had very interesting nicknames. Mine was Fearless Fosdick. You know, he called me that because I was never afraid of anything. And I was always, you know, I was always up to something. And I, and I knew I wanted to start something because I've always been into, you know, into starting things and growing things. You know, I believe that anyone can run a business when it's good, but the people who really make it in life, you have to find a carve-out niche. Like, 
the way I've made money and I've been successful is I found a niche in being able to turn around trouble companies. I've done that successfully. So I've made it to where I'm a guy that's always going to be in need because I have a skill that, you know, many other CFOs do not have. And it's important to find, you know, where you fit in. And so I got to go back. I got to go back. Something in there about being age of 14 and buying Gap and Abercrombie and Lucid and getting it, go back to that. So you're 14, so you're a high school freshman. That's like 90, yep. 94-ish. And yeah. what, what someone in the family was watching CNBC, you were looking at the business section of a newspaper at 14. What, what was it that fascinated you back then about either making money or taking bets on companies that even as a teenager you, you thought would be would succeed? A little of all of the above. I can thank my parents for this. You know, we spend a lot of time, um, you know, I have parents that have deep business backgrounds who have both been very successful in, um, in business. My father at IBM, for instance. Um, so we had a lot of conversations around the dinner table about things that, you know, other families did not have. So I was very fortunate to have that. And I, you know, I spent a lot of time reading. My parents instilled it in me that it's important to read. I wasn't as much like the other kids, um, you know, going around playing video games and doing that thing. So it was important to have structure. So as I started reading, I'm kind of like, hmm, okay, this is, this is interesting. And started dabbling. And once you made a few bucks, it was, you know, it was addicting. You're, you're hooked. And in the 90s, you know, in that time, people were making tons of money in the mid-90s, mid you know. That was great. So part of it was the timing of it, and part of it was, you know, I had a few bucks to spare, and that really, you know, got my obsession going with um, with the stock market. And then kind of later on, it turned into angel investment. I took some of that money I had, and, you know, down the road, I made a um, small investment in, in Facebook, which turned out to be a pretty good investment. So it was about $20,000 at the time that I'd put into Facebook, and I that was later on down the road in 07 that I had gotten introduced to and had an opportunity to invest in. I didn't know much about it at the time and got in. So it was a little bit of luck. Yeah. So do you remember the first investment when you were 14? 50 bucks, 100 bucks? And was it lawn mowing money? Yeah, or um, how much and kind of where did you have the babysitting or where was that spare cash from? Actually, it was, um, I would help my parents out with different things. And, you know, my dad would say, hey, can you help me out with this? And I would, I would get paid to do these little things. So I might review something for him. And, um, you know, I got a little cash for it. It was 500 bucks in Lucent Technologies. And I remember the stock splitting and being excited <laughs> for that because Lucent, at least in the 90s, must have split, you know, eight to ten times. <laughs> so, you know, it was um, it was exciting to see, you know, that $500 suddenly turned into $2,000. I'm like, oh, my God. This is, if all I have to do is put a little money and I'm guaranteed to make money, like, you know, this is, this is the best thing ever. That's fun. So from there, I was, I was really hooked. And to this day, I'm still, you know, I'm still obsessed. Now I've moved more into um, options. And I think, you know, part of it was had I not gotten that initial high from investing when I was young or just really enjoying it, I wouldn't be where I am because I would have not, you know, I would not have ended up in finance. I would not have, um, I wasn't sure I wanted to say a spot in my first, after my freshman year, because it was, it was tough. Like I was not, I was not a great student my first year. I was basically, you know, a B and C student in, in pre-med. I'm kind of like, okay, well, this isn't going to, this isn't going to work. And I'm, and part of it was just, again, it's, it was a struggle of being a kid who was, you know, one of the smarter kids in my high school to all of a sudden being just one of many, just average kids. Cause everybody, you know, in our, in our class was smart, you know, <laughs> 
And it, it sounds bad. like it sounds like you can hear it in the passion of your voice once you made the flip to finance and you hooked up with some of these professors, it sounds like that kind of set you on a whole totally different path. It did. And the relationships that I had with my professors and just the confidence they still to me and uh, you know, it really it really changed my life. It did. And there's, you know, you never forget those people who along the way who were there and the ones that were the difficult professors were the ones who really taught you things because they prepared you and I I can't say enough how much, you know, the business school prepared me for what I was going through as well. I don't you know, I think there's a lot of great schools out there, but going back I would not have changed what I went through at all for anything because it's one of those you have to go through those hard times in order to appreciate know success and a lot of the good stuff and it's important to be able to help someone else out because there's gonna be lots of people that go through it so that's why i'm still active going back and i still go and talk to students and i and i mentor some of the students there and i keep in touch with you know professors and things like that as well who you know who introduced us so it's um you know it's very important do you remember uh not necessarily your first job but a job you had in your 20s that um you still think of either mistakes or successes or a boss or something that triggers regular thoughts even to this day? Yeah, I had, um, so I had a really great job. My first job out of, um, out of school, I spent three years working at Citigroup and I worked in the private equity side. It was, it was a great time. I had some great people around me. It was, it was fun, made great money. We did a lot of, a lot of things and, after spending three years there, I felt like, you know, I wanted to get a little bit more structure to my life. And I think really when um, I made the move to Cardinal Health and spent three years there from about 2004 to about 2007, that really made the difference because I was getting to work in corporate finance of, you know, one of the 50 largest companies in the world at the time. The company was about an $80 billion um, in revenue company. It was doing very well. We were doing, you know, acquisitions left and right. And it was one of those things where it really taught discipline. I really would spend, I spent probably 80% of my day putting together financial models and being in meetings with, you know, top executives in the company. I mean, not many jobs would give you access to be able to sit in meetings with um, the CFO of the company, who Jeff Henderson was the CFO at um, Cardinal Health at the time, as well as the treasurer of the company. So that really prepares you to, you know, in terms of growing up quickly and really making sure that things are accurate, you know, timely and, you know, that you're able to interact with executive manager. That's the difference in whether or not you're going to be successful. Yeah. So that was, yeah, so that was the big thing. Yeah. Some of those lessons you certainly can take in the future. And then from the, from, and I know you, we talked about it earlier, maybe even offline about even becoming a CFO before the age of 30. Uh, was that still was that at Cardinal Health, or had you then moved on to a different place to be your the C, no, no, CFO? No, I, I wish. No, my first uh, position. So this is actually kind of a funny, quick. I'll tell you the short version of it. Um, I had spent uh, three years as the director, almost about two and a half years actually, as the director of finance at a company that was about a hundred million in uh, revenue called Xtech. We made um, replacement parts for steel facilities. Like so, U.S. Steel, AK, all the big, um, all the big ones, and we went from being about a company of 100 million in revenue overnight to a company of 70 million in revenue. Because every about eight years or so, there's a, um, a downturn in the market, and the company has been around was around for about 100 years. It's still around to this day. And what happened was, as a company 
would struggle and lose revenue. They didn't have to lay people off. We were about 400 people, and I was the second highest uh, finance guy in the company. I reported the CFO at the time, and what happened was he walked in my office about, I think it was like 2 p.m. on a Friday, and said, hey, you know, I hate to tell you this company's struggling, but it's either me or you, and it's going to be you. We got to cut. We got to cut some heads. And you know, I was God. I was probably 20, 26, 27 at the time. It wasn't. I wasn't very old, and didn't have to do it because you think you never think it's going to happen to you, and you're sitting there like, wow, what, what next? And getting laid off. That was the one time I really laid off. It's the best thing ever happened to me because two months later. I was out golfing, and by chance, I met um, a guy who was starting a company in the alternative energy space. And I told him, you know, a little bit about my background and what I've been doing. And I get a call from him two days later, say, "Hey, I'm starting this company. Uh, come do it with me." Uh, a few years later, we sold the company and made some good money. And I was I was hooked on on scaling companies. So sometimes, you know, your big opportunity in life is going to come many times when you're not most prepared for it. I mean, think of the people who, who went in and worked at, um, you know, Apple or Amazon or Facebook, some of these companies that, um, you know, they're 26 years old and they don't know these things are going to be big. And they just, you know, sometimes just saying yes and taking a chance, but I would not have been afforded that chance had, you know, I not went through, you know, that layoff period. And I had a time where I think it was like six weeks before I started working again, but it was, it was cool. You know, I was very happy for it. And, like I said, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you if it weren't, it weren't for that. So, know that anyone who's ever went through a hard time and has had to be laid off or whatever that is, you know, just know it's going to get it's going to get better and things do change. And that's one of the things I when I went, I go back and I talk at you know Miami or Xavier. I tell the kids, I said, you know, you're going to have a time where things are just going to be awful. And I think there's no better way, but it always gets better. It always does, and you have the ability to determine that yourself as well, you know, surround yourself with the right people. I wrote a, um, I wrote a chapter on financial success, um, in a book that was published a couple months ago. And that was one of the things I talked about that, you know, it's important to find those alliances early, find yourself an executive in the company who you really admire and go sit down with them for an hour and just and listen for 90% of the time. You know, most of what you get is listening in the conversation, even though I'm doing, I'm, t- even though I'm yapping a lot. So I'm kind of doing the opposite of what I should be doing. <laughs> no, I'm I, yeah. you, you're, It's perfect. Cause I, yeah, yeah. I'm getting, Absolutely. I'm getting the listening yeah. on the other side. So I appreciate it. What, what's the name of, what's the name of, what's the name of the book? <laughs> yeah, it's called um, financial freedom. And I can send, I can send the link to you as well. It's financial freedom explained. And it's the fourth edition and it was published in, I think it's, it was April. So geez, July now, this year is going by fast. Home, homecoming will be coming up again for my age. Oh my gosh, I saw it September 1. I can't believe homecoming. <laughs> I know. My high school, my, my, stu- my kids aren't even in school by September 1, and they're already at homecoming. Man, forgot about Absolutely. that stuff. So what, what's, what's yeah. next for you as we head with the, I hate to say end of summer, but we'll get there at some point here. Um, the next six months for you, for, for the two businesses you're doing and or personal passions or hobbies or things that get you excited? What's the next six months look like? Yeah, I'm spending more time. Like, so there's a couple of things I'm doing. I, um, I spent some time doing stuff with children's charities, but one of the things I'm working on, I'd like to work on a, um, on a seed school. And a seed school is a, um, a school for inner-city kids and think of it like a boarding school. They go to school Monday through Friday, and their ta- their meals are taken care of. The curriculum is a little bit different than what they're taught 
and uh, traditional schools, but it takes you away from all the stresses of what you have to go through living in um, kind of impoverished, underdeveloped communities. And I, what I want to do is I want to set a few of those schools up and fund those and, you know, and really help these kids out. Because I think in order to change the, you know, the future, you have to start at the foundation. And, you know, I'm a big believer that education is the new form of social currency. That's the biggest thing. And part of why, you know, again, I've been able to achieve success is, you know, undergrad degree in finance, grad degree in finance. Um, I had experience. I never wanted anyone to be able to give me a chance to not, you know, to not hire me. So you never want to give a reason for them to say no. So when you're sitting there, they're saying, well, we'd like to promote you, but you don't have an MBA. Oh, wait, I do. Oh, we'd like to promote you. You don't have the company experience. Oh, wait, I do. So, you know, that's very important. I think also spending a lot more time, you know, getting into golf because golf is one of my favorite things to do. I, um, you know, I like to play a lot of tournaments and do that kind of stuff. So spending more time golfing and, um, you know, taking a little time to just relax and enjoy things and, you know, settle down as well. Cause I haven't, I haven't had a chance to do that now. It's been, uh, it's been a bit of a whirlwind. The years kind of run together. And, and if you've hit 40 or so countries, what, what's the bucket list country that you could go to and, not bring your computer, your iPad, or your phone with? Wow. That's country. I would say probably, I would say Italy. Italy is one of those countries that it's just a blast. You know, there's lots and lots to do. It's just gorgeous views everywhere. I mean, it's just, it's very peaceful. The food's great. It's not expensive. It's just, I would say Italy is one of those places. You just get so caught up in the sights that you just, you just lose track of everything around you. And speaking of favorite food, if you're walking down High Street right now, what restaurant bar are you going in and what item are you buying? Wow, this is the easiest question you've asked me all day, friend. Oh, Skipper's by far, the, ch- the chicken gyro, waffle fries, cheese sauce. No doubt. I can still tell you the specials they had every single night at Skipper's. I was addicted to that place. And I told Eric, Andy and Terry when they sell that place, I would like to buy that. So I rescind my answer from earlier. To answer your question, I would like to buy. I'd love to buy Skippers. Love that chat. Thanks, Rich. Thanks for spending the time. I told you, we went in all directions. From Professor Daco, Bruce Olson on campus, to Jack Dorsey, to selling socks, to look what he wants to do next, build some seed schools in inner cities around the country. Uh, I, I'd bet on Rich. I'd bet on Enrich Media and everything he's doing. Um, He's a winner, and you can hear it. Even starts with him talking about his parents being mentors. Uh, you can you can learn from a lot of people. First place to do it's inside your own home. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. Really appreciate everyone listening and sharing with your friends. See you at Skippers real soon. Hey, Andy. See ya.